Hello, Love Storyers. We have a very special episode for you today. Um, and Morgan is going to intro our guest. Hi, Love Storyers. We are back in the studio, as promised, with my dear friend, Grace. Grace was born and raised in Hawaii. She is one of my closest friends in the entire world. We've nicknamed her the Daria of our friend group because she's very deadpan and very hysterical. And Grace is also a Korean American woman. We talked to Grace maybe a month and a half ago at this point, maybe even two months ago, before the news media started really covering the uptick in violence against Asian Americans. And that conversation, which was a really good one, and which we'll probably put out at some other point, just didn't feel like it would be appropriate to share in light of what's been happening recently because we weren't discussing those relevant topics. And so because of that, we decided to sit back down with Grace and to have another conversation with her that would really help us to be able to get at how she's feeling around this movement to stop Asian hate, what she's been feeling as an Asian American woman in this incredible moment. And so we're so excited to have Grace back. So welcome back, G. Thanks for having me. Long time fan. So G, my first question before I even get into who are you and learn more about that, I want to hear how are you? How have you been dealing with what's been going on in the news in these past couple of weeks in light of the horrendous killings that occurred in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago? I don't know how to describe it. Like, it's just been such a roller coaster of emotions. I think when I first heard the news of the shootings in Atlanta, that day was just so busy that I didn't even have time to like process what happened. And I was like, oh my God, it's just another shooting. And I think the more that I, you know, thought about it, the more that it really like sunk in that of like what happened, I think it just made me like really sad. And actually, Like one of the initial thoughts that I had was like empathy for like my black friends. I felt felt like, oh my God, this is how like all my black friends like must feel with like all the violence that's like happened, like not only last year, but like in the history of, you know, our country. And so that's like one of the first things that I actually really felt taking the time to kind of think more about like my Asian identity and my Asian experience, like living in America. And I, but I feel like growing up, my experience being Asian was a bit idyllic because I grew up in Hawaii where it's, I recently just looked this up actually, it's almost 70% Asian in Hawaii. So I felt like I have been very blessed and privileged to live in a place where being Asian wasn't something that I was criticized for or bullied. And yeah, I consider myself very lucky. It's just been kind of interesting and like sort of an awakening to really sit down and think about how Asian people are treated and viewed in this country. And, you know, the realization that racism, you know, against every person of color in America is very much like a real thing. And just learning about the events that kind of unfolded the last week is just, I mean, it's horrifying. It's, I was angry. I was sad. I think, you know, it just really hits home just thinking about my own parents and, you know, my mom walking outside at night. Like I got nervous about that. And I was like, could you not walk outside? I mean, she still did it anyway, but I think just those things where you didn't really have to think about before, like I felt all of a sudden very 
anxious and fearful and just talking to some of my other Asian friends, I think you already have to worry about your safety being a woman. And then now kind of adding this, you know, whole another layer of race, I think is just very, it's nerve wracking. Over the summer after George Floyd was killed, I had this experience of I've grown up my entire life knowing that people are racist and that they've been racist against me. I had already had experiences about that, but his murder and that the subsequent reminders to these are the things we need to be reading. And this is the history that we need to remember and all that caused me to look back through my own personal history and reflect again on situations that at the time, like maybe when I was in high school, I didn't even recognize that those were that I was being, um, targeted or that there was something negative happening to me because of my race. But looking back, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And so I wonder if you're having that experience now, Grace, of kind of reflecting back on your experiences that you've been through that you may not have been looking at as like, this happened to me because I am Asian, or was that a microaggression? Have you been thinking through that? Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I think even, you know, listening to the original recording of the podcast and just talking about my own like experiences being Asian and dating and all this stuff, I think I was like, oh my God, I feel like I was just downplaying all those experiences. You know, I was just thinking about, I was like, have I experienced like blatant racism or like, I just forgot that they happened because I feel like you know, to kind of cope with those experiences, you kind of just bury it or forget about it. Because I feel like if you dwell on it too much, or if you think too, think too deeply about it, it's very painful. So I, I, that was sort of like one of the realizations I had over the last week, I was like, Oh, my God, I, I feel like I haven't, I don't really remember those instances that clearly because I've either buried it or as a coping mechanism, tried to forget it. One of our friends, Gina, she had texted me this past week and was like, I remember about that this incident where we went out to dinner. She's like this old guy. I remember this old guy came up to us and was saying like, was asking you like where you were from and that he had like an Asian girlfriend before and just saying like really inappropriate things. And it was just, I totally forgot about that. And then I all of a sudden remembered and remember feeling so awkward and you don't even know what to say in those instances. You know, I feel like they, and it's, it's the same thing that I've mentioned before about like people asking me about my race or where I'm from, like as a initial point of trying to make a connection. I'm always like, why does that matter? Stuff happened this past week at work actually, where I was being gaslit by someone at work. And you just can't help but think when you do run into those instances now, like, is it because of race? You don't know for sure. And it's like, you are also hesitant to call someone racist the word racist and racism obviously is just very strong and holds a lot more meaning, especially because of everything that's happened in the last year. Grace, you know, I really, I really resonate with what you said about people asking where you're from, or sometimes it's a place of curiosity. Someone actually cares, but a lot of the time I find it's them trying to place you in their narrative rather than getting to know you for you and almost to like validate their own assumptions that they've made. Because then they'll be like, oh, where are you from? Oh, you're from this country. You don't look like you're this. You look more like this. And so I agree that that can be very, very troubling. And I also think that goes into why sometimes we don't want to remember these moments where someone has been extremely racist or just um, treated you differently for whatever reason. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for coming back on the podcast to talk to us again. When I was listening back to your episode, Grace, when we had been having our conversation, I hadn't thought that you were downplaying the things that, that had happened to you. But then when I was listening back, I was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. 
when we, when we first had the conversation, I asked you about dating as an Asian woman and your first reaction was to say, well, I haven't really experienced anything like weird around being an Asian woman on the apps. And the thing that I remembered, which, and I'll say this and we may cut it and because it's so incredibly disgusting and inappropriate, but a person I remember you said that they said, I want to fuck the chink out of you. And that that was a, a message that you had received on one of these things. And so I knew that. And so hearing you be like, I haven't really experienced anything crazy on the apps or yeah, people have said some stuff, but it hasn't been that bad. I'm like, that's an incredibly traumatic and disgusting thing to hear a person say. And I even feel disgusting and horrible repeating that in listening again and hearing you kind of describe, oh yeah, people have said some gross stuff to me, whatever. I'm like, that's really fucked up and like really disgusting and horrible. And I wonder if you thought at all about like, why do you think that you played that down in the past? I thought of that too, actually, like the exact words that he said was, I want to breathe the chink out of you. And first of all, I was like, what does that even mean? And two, I was like, oh, it's just a bot. I was like, it's not a real person. This is just so egregious that I was like, it just can't possibly be a real person. Or this person is just doing it to, I don't know, for like entertainment or something. But yeah, you're right. I think the reason why I downplayed it too, or kind of said, you know, I can't really recall anything that egregious has happened to me is because I know that so many other people have had it way worse. And I've heard just like other horror stories. So I think in relation to that, and just knowing things that can possibly happen out there, I consider myself very lucky. But yeah, that is one of the things I thought about when listening back to the episode and also kind of why I wanted to regroup with you guys and just have another opportunity to kind of speak about my experience is because I was like, oh my God, it was sort of like an epiphany. I was like, oh my God, have I been downplaying or, you know, just forgetting these instances that happen just because you kind of have to brush them aside in order to kind of cope with it. I think too, like growing up as a minority or a person of color or, you know, being from like an immigrant family, it's like you're taught to have thick skin or taught to be tough. So I feel like when those things happen to me, like I try not to let it bother me. You know, I think it's really interesting. Two things that you said, one about like whether it's like a thing of course, people of color or the immigrant experience of being tough. And also of thinking that, oh, so-and-so has had it worse. And I completely agree with that. I would say that any person who's come to this country as an immigrant or is a person of color or whose parents struggled, you never want to compare yourself to someone else. You're like, oh, wow, compared to what that person is feeling, I'm doing so much better. And while I think it's good to have perspective, I also think it's so important to like let yourself heal from your experience because trauma is trauma. Whether you like break your arm or you get a giant gash in it, or you do something that's much, much worse to your body, no matter what, you'd let your health, let yourself heal from that trauma. And so I think emotionally, we need to do the same. So yes, Black Americans have had a much different and tougher and worse experience, but every racial group has had an experience like that. I'm glad that you're able to share your story and we can all hear about it because every, everyone's story needs to be told. And we need to learn to heal from whatever we felt if we want to move forward. I think too, I think the word trauma, I think there's a certain connotation about trauma that it needs to be like really, I don't know, like a big thing. But I think even after reading, you know, how to be an anti-racist and Kendi talking about 
microaggressions. I remember him saying like he didn't like the word microaggression to begin with, but I think like, you know, all these microaggressions like really add up that you don't realize that it's like getting a little paper cut. It's like you don't really realize that you're getting all these like paper cuts. And, you know, when it does reoccur over and over again, it adds up. But I think you just don't realize that at the moment that all those things can build to trauma being a minority in this country. I didn't have the epiphany till recently that, oh my God, I have gone through more things than I had thought, or it's affected me in more ways than I thought. Also, my general coping mechanism in life with anything is avoidance. So I tend to just like avoid it or not think about it or push it to the side and keep trucking on just because there are so many worse things. I've never gotten assaulted. So I think because to me, those things are like trauma to the highest degree, you just kind of don't think that what your experiences or those things that have happened to you, you can call trauma. And I also think there's a there's a difference between like acknowledging what you've gone through and elevating your experience to someone else's. Because just because you say you've also been through something and that you've struggled does not mean you're saying you've even struggled as hard as someone else or even that you're comparing your experience. I think that's a very important thing because especially with like the way social media is in our life, I feel like always, no matter what, we compare ourselves. That's why like it's it's great to see on Instagram all these different groups of like South Asians for Black Lives Matter, like Asians for Black Lives Matter, because with race, I feel like white supremacist culture always tries to tear us apart but the fact that we can have this conversation and just share the fact that all of us have been through something, varying degrees, much worse for others, I think that's an important step in like unifying and like doing what we can to tear down white versus culture. I also think too, because I'm the only one on this particular Zoom who's not the child of an immigrant, right? So my mom grew up in this country. When I was maybe in 10th grade, I had a geometry test that I had to take and geometry was already really hard for me. I wasn't that great at math and I had a tutor because I wasn't that great. And I shared that tutor with another girl who was in my class and I had the flu and we had our exam that day, our final, I think I was like not feeling well, not in a good headspace. Like we all know how you feel when you have the flu, but my mom was like, you can't not go to school and not take your tests. Like you got to keep it moving, obviously. So I take the test. I think I got a 36% out of hundred because I wasn't well. And my teacher was like, you did very badly on this test. You got a 36, but I know that you were really sick and I'm not going to let you get an F on a test because I know that you're smart. You're the president of the 10th grade. You are on the dance team. You like are, a, you're like a star of this school. I'm not going to let you fail. So I'm going to give you 30 extra points. I'm going to give it a 66. So your grade might still be like a C at the end of the year, but like, you're not going to fail. And the Dean who I knew didn't like me. And I had always known that she didn't like me, but I didn't know why per se was like, well, you got an F, so I'm going to fail you. You can't get extra 30 points. And so the girl who I was, who was my tutor partner with me, who was, happened to be a white girl. She was like, but I know you studied because we studied together. And she was like, let's you and I both go talk to her so that we can figure out how to get you a better grade on this test. And Courtney came with me and she talked and she was like, you're not allowed to fail her because she was studied with me. And I know that she studied and we have a tutor together and we do the tutoring at Morgan's house. And yeah, she got a bad grade, but you know, she was sick and you know, she works really hard and like, you can't fail her. I'm her witness to tell you that like, this wasn't because of effort. 
at the time I wasn't like, oh, she's being my white shield and she's being the person she's validating my words because my words aren't being heard. I didn't know that at the time, but that's what she did. And I ended up being able to get a 66. And I think I ended up getting a C that semester. And I ended up getting a B the next semester or something. When that situation was happening. And when I remember my mom was like, the reason she doesn't want you to do well is because you're black, period. And I'd be like, mom, you're overreacting. Or like, why are you saying that? And she was like, trust me. There's no reason why any person wouldn't want your brilliant ass to succeed. You make this school look so good. There's no other reason. Why would she be treating you like that? Why would she need Courtney to come in and tell her that you guys had studied together? Why wouldn't she take you at your word? It's because you're black. So I say all this to say that I feel like that's a uniquely black American experience to be like, don't let the outside world treat you this kind of way. And if they are treating you that way, it's because you're black. It's not because of you don't internalize these other people's hatred of you because it's not about you. It's about white supremacy culture. And I wonder if you two both having had immigrant parents who didn't grow up here, if they had those conversations with you or knew to have those conversations with you. I want to say no. I think it's, I don't know. I think it's really interesting. And again, my experience is unique in the, in the sense that I grew up in Hawaii, which is very predominantly Asian. It's very unique in that sense, but no, my parents never had a conversation with me about that. I think, I think because I never really experienced any blatant instances of racism growing up, it never came up or I never thought to ask my parents about it. Moving to Philly, going to college and then moving to New York, you just kind of navigated yourself and then kind of dealt with it. And I'm sure they've experienced instances of racism because obviously English is their second language, but it's never really been discussed with me. And I think that's also why my parents have always emphasize the importance of education and making sure that they're paving the way for me in terms of opportunities and just making sure that I'm getting the best education, that I'm getting, you know, the best life that they could provide for me so that I wouldn't have to go through something like that. But it was never really a conversation that came up. What about you, Yara? No, it wasn't really for me either. I mean, I think that similarly, my parents were always like, get a great education, education, education. And that was the number one thing. And I think that's also why, like, they left East Africa because they were like, you know, not that it was bad there or anything, but what they were like, no, we want to, we have a family, we want to get our kids the best education possible. Coming to America, like, in theory, is like, oh, the American dream, blah blah blah. You're coming here for that. I think, like I said, maybe other episodes. Um, after nine eleven, I was more aware of my religion and how, like, maybe I shouldn't be too open about that. And I think that goes into me being brown and Indian and like like looking like a Muslim person and looking like the people who perpetrated those attacks. And maybe my parents didn't say this directly, but I've always had an understanding because I'm a woman, perhaps I'll be treated differently. And that's very true. Society treats women terribly, but you know, it it was, it was that in particular. And like I said, it was all about education, education, education. And I think in, in their minds and probably in the minds of a lot of immigrant parents, like if you get your kids the best education possible, ideally they won't have to deal with any of that. And that's unfortunately not necessarily true in this country because you look at pay gaps. It's still an issue, but long, long way short of saying it wasn't heavily discussed in my family either. Grace, can you talk a little bit about your parents and where they grew up? 
And then I also want to hear if you've had conversations with them within this past two weeks about these topics, because now it's in the news. Both of my parents grew up in South Korea and moved to Hawaii in mid-late 80s. And then I was born here in Hawaii and grew up here. It's so quintessential, essentially Asian to not really talk about things. And I think that's why things like racism or race um, haven't really come up because I think to them, it's, you know, what can you do about that? I think just, I think just, you know, keeping your head down, working hard, getting an education is just really what they kind of like focused in and had tunnel vision. With the recent, uh, with the shootings from last week, my parents are divorced. So I'm staying with my mom right now. I'm actually going to my dad tonight, but I mean, it hasn't really come up. The way that it's come up is when my mom goes on walks at like 9 p.m. because she doesn't like the sun, even though she lives in Hawaii. Um, she's like, I need to go exercise. And I was like, it's 9 p.m. Could you like not exercise at 9 p.m. <laughs> like in the neighborhood? I'm actually very lucky that my parents live in a place where one, it's safe and two, the, the majority of the population is Asian. Like if they live somewhere else on the mainland, I think I'd be way, uh, way more worried about them. Why haven't you talked to her about it? Like, why haven't you brought it up explicitly? Dr. P, our therapist, also asked me the same thing. She was like, you should talk to your parents about it. And I was like, oh, maybe I will. But I think to them, they probably just think it's something that I think also, too, being in Hawaii and being so far removed, like physically from like the mainland and everything that goes on there. I think it's like you're in this weird Hawaii bubble. And a lot of the things that, you know, an Asian American person would experience on the mainland, you might not experience living in Hawaii. So I think to them, it's like, yeah, it's sad, but they can't really do anything about it. So, or it's kind of like, they don't know how to talk about it or what to talk about. So it doesn't really come up and they, it's just more, and if it does come up, it's really just more about like, oh my God, did you hear about this thing? It's so sad. And then you just kind of like move on. You said that um, it's like not necessarily an isolated incident. And maybe that's why it has, it wasn't as talked about. Um, You know, one thing that's been in the news recently is how like, attacks against Asian Asian Americans is not new. It's not just bound to what's happened with COVID. In history, from immigration laws, the things surrounding World War II, to all of these discriminatory policies that have impacted Asian Americans. I'm curious of growing up in Hawaii with a lot of people who look like you, was that in your school curriculum? Or did you learn it through your family? Did you learn it on your own? Because I know that when we learned about things like that in school. It was literally one sentence in a textbook. And I enjoy history. So I learned more about it through college classes or just, you know, my own research and whatever I wanted to learn. And I've realized more and more the older I've gotten how education in America is so regionalized. What you learn about the Civil War in the South is very different than what you learn in the North versus California and all of that. So I'm curious if your education in Hawaii was different um, and if you learned about any of that. I mean, I took Asian history, which was ironically taught by a white man, but <laughs> it's really more about like centuries ago about how chi- the Chinese civilization was like created and things like that. It's a lot more like historical. It's probably not the right word, but in terms of modern day or recent day racism or the Asian American experience, I feel like it wasn't really talked about. I mean, I, the only thing I can really think about is Japanese internment camps like did you guys learn about that in high school I thought about that recently too about how that was such 
you know, a horrible period in American history. And it's not really talked about that often, I feel like. And the other thing, too, I thought about recently, you know, with all of this, you know, anti-Asian hate conversations coming up was also around conversations about cultural appropriation and Asians in media. You know, my favorite topic, Asians in media. When things would come out about cultural appropriation, you know, if someone was appropriating Black culture, I feel like that got so much more buzz and was talked about a lot more than when someone appropriates Asian culture. Like, that's something I always thought about, too. I was like, it's so weird that no one talks about it or no one makes a big stink about people appropriating Asian culture versus if someone appropriated Black culture. It's funny because, too, like, like Black rappers or Black musicians will say something if Black culture is being appropriated, but then they appropriate Asian culture too. Like, like, why do you guys have like Asian tattoos, you know? Things like that. I just always thought it was fascinating. I remember when there was that drama that Cardi B made some comment about her daughter and that she had quote unquote chinky eyes or something. And people were like, uh, that's a very racially insensitive and mean thing to say. And that's racist and you shouldn't say that. And her response wasn't like, thank you for sharing that. I've learned something new. Her response was like, I didn't even know that that was racist. And so I'm not going to apologize basically. And if somebody had like accidentally said the N word, that person would maybe, well, maybe not, but that person would have a higher chance of being canceled than, and nothing happened to Cardi because of that. I don't even think that that was a big news story. I think Grace texted us in our group chat and was like, did everybody see that that she made this comment? But that didn't have any bearing on her ability to continue working in her role. Um, so I think that that's a good point, Jade, that like those topics get way less attention. And I think it also has to do with like just the history of our country with Asian countries. It's so recent. You have like soldiers who went to Vietnam and Korea. We went to those countries as conquerors 50 years ago, not even that long ago. And so it's it's almost like a fascination of like, you know, getting getting something written like Chinese as a tattoo. And like, you don't even know what it means. Um, Like the Ohm sign tattooed on them who aren't, who are not Hindu. And like, it's just, there's a misunderstanding of what these things actually mean. And then you're just using them to be cool and to be different and be exotic. But also, I agree with you. I, I, there's probably five to 10 sentences in my history book about internment camps because you don't learn about it at all. I grew up in California and they barely taught it. So much of what this past year has taught us is that history is so important and understanding where we were and how where we were affects where we are currently is the only way that we can function properly as a society. If we're not willing to acknowledge the history of where we've been, where we've messed up, if we're not willing to acknowledge those things, then how can we possibly move forward? And how can we possibly not let history repeat itself? It's like we've been robbed, like you've taken all of these things from us in trying to quote unquote, make us American. And it's really just stripped us of everything that made us who we are and trying and whitewashing all of it. You're trying to whitewash this history that if only we could acknowledge it, Cardi B wouldn't say, wouldn't be saying chinky eyes. And she would know because history would teach us that the Chinese exclusion act and all of these other, um, the Japanese internment, all these other racist policies against Asian American people, it wasn't acceptable then, and it isn't acceptable to say anything racist now. 
And, you know, Morgan, to, to what you just said about how they whitewash us and blah, blah, blah. They whitewash us, but then they don't let us be white or be American, really. They like, they, they, they tell you that, oh, you shouldn't do these things that are a part of your culture. You shouldn't do this because you're American, but then they don't treat you as fully American. Or if they do, they question the fact that you're American. You're just damned if you do, damned if you don't, you know, and I feel like not including these things in history or having these things taught to people in school is the ultimate form of gaslighting. It's like, it's kind of like what our conversations were last time too around representation in the media. It's like, if you're not represented in the media, do you even exist? It's kind of the same thing. It's with history, you know, like if you're not talked about in history or the history books, like, do you even exist? Like, does your experience even matter? And then also just touching on the Cardi thing. I got so riled up about that. And I, I feel like no one else was. Why aren't more people upset about this? And her response was just so disappointing. And granted, whatever, she's not president of the United States. But basically, yeah, her response was, I don't know everything. So like, why are you guys coming at me? Like, what kind of response is that? And so I just felt very disappointed, especially, you know, her also being a woman and a person of color and being so coming from nothing and basically like building her success. It's like, why would you not bring everyone up with you? It's like, why is that the example that you're setting, especially when so many people I'm sure look up to her. But that's white supremacy culture at its finest is that like she was exhibiting and embodying the defensiveness that white people have when you're like, you know that the thing you did was racist. And they're like, well, I'm not a racist person. How dare you even ask me that question? And like, that's one of the tenets of white supremacy culture is to be defensive of yourself and to thrust the blame on somebody else when you're the one who caused harm to another person. Like you said, it's gaslighting because, well, I can't know everything. Yeah, obviously you can't. I'm teaching you. I just taught you something. So the answer to when you're being taught something is to say thank you so that I don't cause harm again in the future. But it's very challenging and white supremacy culture makes it very difficult for people to be okay taking on those lessons, accepting that they've done something that's racist and like trying to make amends for that thing that they've done wrong. Morgan, it's like you always say, um, or yeah, I'm sure other people say this too, but you said it to me. Um, Impact over intent. Her impact was not to hurt people, but that's what it did. And so if you hurt someone, even if you didn't mean to, you still apologize. And like acknowledge like, wow, I didn't know that. I'm going to learn to grow. I mean, I didn't even know Cardi B did that. To be fair, I don't really like, listen, I mean, I listen to music, but music is not something I follow significantly. Um, but it, it's again, it's one of those things where, why wasn't that a bigger story? Why wasn't that something that I heard about? How come I didn't get like a TMZ or like a Daily Mail news alert from any of those, from any of that? And again, it's something where like, I can't decide if it's like an oversaturation of news um, because we just hear so much news or if it's actually what it is that like we we still don't care about certain things that we need to start caring about. And I think too, and this gets into my next question, which is about the model minority myth. I think that kind of a little bit to what you were saying before, Grace, that it's like, well, I don't want to complain too much because I know that like my Black friends have gone through worse stuff or my parents have gone through worse stuff or my grandparents have, you know, like we do that kind of rationalizing. I also think that people of color, we categorize, we create hierarchies of pain when the news of the shooting came to light. 
and all of my Asian friends of whom I have a lot. I grew up in Los Angeles, California, three blocks away from Koreatown. My response was of course to have empathy for them because I'm like, now you're feeling what I felt. But I also kind of felt not salty. I don't know what the right word is, but I was like, now you get it. It has to only be your own people for you to understand what it is that I've been going through. And so I appreciated Grace when you said, I have empathy for my black friends because this horrible experience is what they've been going through over the course of their entire lived experience. I think the model minority myth isn't just something that is internalized by the people who are experiencing it. And I want to talk to you about that, Grace. But I also think that I definitely, I'll admit that I'll be like, there are stereotypes about Asian people, but most of those stereotypes are quote unquote good. And so I'm like, so for people to think that you're really smart and that you're good at math, isn't holding you back from being able to succeed. Also, historically, you haven't been, you haven't been subjugated in the same way that Black people have. And reckoning with that now, as I'm like thinking through all of those things. So I guess my question, Grace, is what are your thoughts around the model minority myth? And do you think that you've internalized that? And talk a little bit about that. I think that's what, that's exactly what I was, you know, getting at before, where I was like, it, not that I didn't have empathy for my black friends before, but it's like, obviously you just feel another level of like connection to what they're experiencing based on, you know, having it also apply to you or a little bit more to you. Um, In terms of the model minority myth, I think that's why I, any of whatever microaggressions or things that have happened to me, I've always downplayed it because I'm like, whatever racism that is directed towards me, it's, a hundred times worse to, you know, my black friends or whatever. And because of this whole minority model, minority myth, that's, I think that's also why I consider myself very lucky of like not having gone through like any extreme trauma. And then on top of that, living in like this, like Hawaiian Asian bubble. And, you know, there is like a little bit of like guilt that also comes with that too, because it's like, you're not quite uh, the most marginalized community in America, but you're also not white, but then sometimes you kind of have this like privilege of being a model minority. So it's just this like weird in between to kind of be in. Because you grew up in Hawaii, which is 70% Asian, you weren't the minority, you were the majority in fact. And so you almost, you said to us last time that when you moved to the mainland to go to Philly, to go to Penn, where we met, that that's kind of where you quote unquote almost became Asian because it's like, I, you weren't a part of the minority before and now you're a minority so can you talk a little bit about that experience going to philly i just vividly remember being in a class and looking around and being very self-aware of the fact that i was asian and i'd never felt that before until i was like 18 or whatever i went to penn i feel like you know since then i've been a lot more self-aware of the fact that i am asian and i am the minority and even the jobs that I've had, like even more so now, um, being very, very aware that there aren't a lot of minorities and also, you know, trying to help other people who are minorities, like sort of kind of navigate being in fashion, which is just another like complicated layer. But that's why I think I just, you know, reiterate the fact that I feel lucky because in a way that in a way growing up in Hawaii, like I did experience a weird form of white privilege or majority privilege, like not having to think about my race, like just living freely, not thinking about race is a huge privilege. And I think that's why 
when people ask you, cause I remember we had had conversations before and you'd be like, this person keeps asking me if I'm, if I'm what my race is, or they'll be like, are you Chinese? I know you're Chinese, whatever. And it will make you really upset. And I was like, why does that make you upset? The person is curious one, or they're a dick two, or three, maybe they're Chinese. And they're like, oh, you're my sister. Let's bond together on the fact that we're both Chinese. And what you explained to me was that you were like, I don't want to only be seen for the fact that I'm Asian. I'm so many other things than that. And I think that the like the privilege that you talked about, I don't have that experience because I've always been the minority. And so to be like, why are you focusing on that? That's the thing that isn't important is that's how white people feel. It's like, why are we even talking about race? It's not about race. And it's like, but it is. <laughs> and those of us who grew up in a place where they are a part of the majority, of course, it's going to be a huge challenge when you go to a workplace or you go somewhere and you're not, but it's like, yeah, well, wake up. That's what the world is. It's just so interesting. And I love hearing about your experience and how freeing that must've been to have grown up somewhere where you didn't have to think about it. And I think that for me, that's part of the reason why it is so important to me and that it is the first thing that I would describe about I'm black. The world reminds me that I'm black every fucking day. And I'm grateful that I have that experience. And I think that you should be proud. That should be the first thing you talk about. And that isn't the case for every person, of course. But I feel like that sometimes when my friends who did grow up where they were a part of the majority and they say stuff like that, I'm like, but aren't you proud that this is who you are? You have to have pride for that. Like, why would you not want to be looked at for being a beautiful, amazing, smart Korean American woman? Like, why would you not want that? I think I sometimes have a disconnect with that because I'm like, that's a huge part of who you are. And that's the best part of who you are. And I'm sure that's not the best part of who you are, but I'm like, that's how I view my blackness. And so I, sometimes I have a disconnect when others don't feel the same. I think it's interesting as well, because similarly, I don't necessarily like people are like, oh, where are you really from? Because it goes one of two ways. It's either a person who's most likely white asking me where am I really from once I say I'm from the South and once I say I'm American. It makes me feel invalidated that that person saying I'm not American just because my like great grandparents or my grandparents or even my parents were born here or it is another Indian person asking me and I'm always panicked that they're not going to think I'm brown enough and think I'm too whitewashed. Finding the balance between like fitting in, but also embracing my culture and finding out how like how to have the right response to where are you really from? Because sure, I mean, I, I love being Indian. You know, there's really cool parts of the culture and it, it is who I am, whether I'm proud of it or not. It's who I am. I can't, I can't run from that. I can't change it. But but it is very interesting to hear because I think all three of us have a different response to when someone wants to know about our racial identity. And that's just a reminder that like everyone can describe their race in their own way and everyone can describe themselves and their identity however they want. And I think that's the cool thing about the podcast. So we get to hear all these stories and then I get to hear from Morgan about what she's thinking too. I mean, I think that's totally spot on because it's like, I feel like even when I grew up, it's sort of like this duality of being Korean and being American. So I think that's why sometimes I get so riled up when people kind of come off the bat um, and start the conversation about race. Because I'm like, no, I want to be valued for whatever, all these other attributes that doesn't have anything to do with race. Because, yeah, I just feel like you have to work so much harder to prove yourself. So it's like, why I, why is race even being spoken about? And I don't know if part of that is a bit ignorant of like not wanting that to be part of the conversation. But 
I think that's why sometimes I struggle with that because it's kind of like, you're not really Korean Korean, but you're not really like American, like white American. And it's kind of like, how do you navigate that? So I think that's why I always try to downplay my race because I'm like, I don't want that to be a factor in how you're interacting with me or how you view me or how you're judging me. But I'm like, that is going to be how they're going to judge you. Like that, that's just a fact. It's not, and it's not bad. I think that that's what, that's where I like, that's why I'm bristling on this a little bit because I'm like, I understand that it's, and I don't understand. Let me back up and say that. I don't understand. I only have one identity and that's that I'm black American and that's still two identities and that I'm black, but I'm also American, but it's not the same, right? I don't have the same experiences either of you. I also am not a part of the model minority, which both of you are, meaning that your proximity to whiteness is so much closer. For me, I think it's freeing in knowing that I'm like, you're going to judge me based on my race. How you treat me is going to have to do with that. And it's okay. When I hear this, this thing, well, like, I don't want to be viewed for that. And I want to be viewed for these other things about myself. And I want to just get to be a regular person. It's like, well, that's not how the world works. And what you are bringing with your identity of being a person of color is what makes you special? I think that that's, that's why I'm bristling at it. I'm like, why do you feel ashamed? That's, I guess, the thing that, that I want to understand more because that's, the, that's what I'm hearing. And maybe I'm hearing incorrectly. To me, we're way more special than any of these random white people every single second of the day because we dance between being an American and having a whole other culture. People who are, have been in this country, they came on the Mayflower. I'm like, the fuck is your culture? You don't have any culture at all. And I know it's that I'm speaking from my own experience, but I'm like, I am so proud of that. And I'm so proud that it's like, despite the fact that you dragged me to this country and then you tried to subjugate us and you're continuing to try to do that. I'm, and, and like dust, I still rise, my Angelos. So I, so I struggle and I'm just trying to really understand why there's not just deep pride and embrace of that. I do have a few thoughts there. One, there's likely internalized white supremacy mixed with that. I'm sure it's very freeing to be able to embrace your identity like that, but it's definitely not easy. And so I think that there is definitely internalized whatever that like, like again, that I feel like I never feel like I'm uh, brown enough to really claim to be an Indian. I feel like I'm more American only just only because that's my, what my lived experience is. And so perhaps that's one reason why just like lived experience and common shared experience and things like that. And also, and again, this second thing I'm just going to throw out there, because I feel like I've talked about this before. I just lately, I've been really stuck on the like impact and effects of colon- colonialism, because I look at like, I mean, obviously, America, we enslaved people here, like we literally um, subjugated people for a very long time. So that has its own remnants. But like looking at India, looking even at East Africa, where my parents grew up, that place was a colony of Europe until like the 50s. And so I also wonder if there, if somehow that has been internalized. And that is why none of us want to be, at least from my experience, none of us want to necessarily embrace our own thing. Because in East Africa, you know, the white British people were like, okay, you Indian people aren't as bad or aren't as low as we see black people, but you're still, you're still not with us. You're, you're in the middle. So I almost wonder if it's like, um, well, if I pretend I'm not this, maybe I'll one day be considered higher. 
Uh, and so, yeah, th- those are my thoughts. I don't know if that made sense. No, that definitely makes sense. That definitely makes sense. I think thinking like that it is to a certain degree ignorant and, you know, internalized white supremacy. And I think because we're in this, you know, model minority or we're closer to whatever white white supremacy or white privilege, I think maybe there is a part of me that thinks that I can accomplish that, but that's not realistic. And also it maybe has to do with the fact that I did live in, I grew, grew up in a place where race wasn't really talked about. So I think now putting myself in a different context or different environment, I'm like, well, why does that need to be even a thing or why does that need to come up? But I think you have to, you know, realize or have an understanding that it's, it's just not the same. So um, you just kind of have to, deal with it. Another thing I wanted to say too, was when I felt very American on the other hand was I had taken this job, like the job before the one that I have now, and it was a Korean based company. So I'd go to Korea um, often and I still have family there and everything. So working in a Korean company and sort of interacting with, you know, Korean people and Korean culture. And again, that culture is very hierarchical. They're very into hierarchy and status and like you speak to people who are older than you or you know of a higher status than you in a different way and it's funny because there's one instance where this designer had emailed me and I was like okay no problem and I put like a smiley face but she's like a lot older than I was and she wrote me the most scathing email being like you're being disrespectful like this is in America like basically like you're a rude American and that was like my first like week on the job too. And I like remember like I burst into tears and I was like, oh my God, it just, I don't know why it didn't even hit me, but I was like, oh my God, I can't, you can't act the same way you would in America to somebody who grew up and is, you know, raised in Korean culture. And so I didn't even realize that within my own like sphere of being like Korean American, that that was something that I needed to think about or change, which was really funny because I was like, oh my God, I really am American, even though. So yeah, it's all about like context in your environment. So I was like, I was like, oh my God, I am very American. It was just like such a weird experience and a weird um, epiphany to have. Like I am very American. And so I think, again, it's kind of grappling with this like duality of like, I'm not quite Korean. I'm not quite American and having to kind of navigate that. I completely agree. And again, um, Grace, I'm not sure if you've heard this a lot, but I always know like, you know, with other Indian people, um, or like even things I've been seeing on TikTok recently, like different Indian creators talking about like being whitewashed. And that's always something that you get told. And so it's like almost sometimes where if you don't embrace either side 100%, so if you don't act 100% American, you get criticized. If you don't act 100% Indian, you get criticized. And it's just a very like weird balance to strike. And I think especially when you're young, something can happen where you like, it makes you feel like you have to choose one side. Um, And you don't like, I think we said this on Donna's episode, or Donna said it on her episode about like how you can have several parts to your racial identity. It's not just one or the other. Um, And I think the older I get, the more comfortable I am um, with like being Indian and American and like being like, who cares? Like, you know, telling people that I enjoy watching Bollywood movies and things like that. That's not something I would ever do when I was younger because I was embarrassed. But now I'm like, why should I be embarrassed? Who cares? It's fun. And so I think it's just a part of getting older and embracing and like letting yourself take whatever parts of your culture that you want 
and be proud of it. And so kind of like you were saying, Morgan, like um, embracing it, it's what makes us great. And so I just think it's like a learning experience. I just want to be very clear that multiple black people have told me that I'm too white. <laughs> so like, I'm not like out here, black, 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 all black people are accepting me by any stretch of the imagination. To this day, my friends, like people who I'm very close to, we, I, so there was a test that somebody sent to our uh, Martha's Vineyard group chat, a quiz, and it basically was like, how black are you? And it was the, the spectrum was from OJ, like I'm not black, I'm OJ, to Wakanda, and like you are King T'Challa. And so it had a series, maybe of five questions. And so everybody in our group chat filled out the questions and I got the, I'm not black, I'm OJ one. And the person in our group chat who claims to be the blackest one of all of us got the same one, got the same score that I did. So that I sent the test to Yara. Yara takes the test. Yara, what did you get? I don't remember the exact level, but it was like kind of black or something like that. And it was the same one as me. She got the kind of black one, which is the, which was the OJ one. <laughs> um, oh, I lied. Actually, the test was between Rachel Dolezal, which is that you're not black at all. And then the last one was Wakanda. So it wasn't the least. I didn't get the least black one, but I got the second least black. Same as Yara. Same as this other guy that claimed he's the blackest person in our group. And so I was like, this is a perfect embodiment of the fact that like, we're all equally black, period. We're all equally American. We're all equally Korean. We're all equally Indian. Whatever our experience is, is the experience of that culture. So my experience is the black experience. Like that's what it is. And I may have grown up differently than some other black people, but their experience and my experience, we're the same. We're both just as black as each other. Unfortunately, people like Daniel Cameron are just as black as I am, you know? Um, and I think that something that Dr. P said to me, which was so powerful, was we were talking about Matt James, The Bachelor. And um, we were talking about him and that the rumor was that he was going to pick this white girl who we all knew what, who we had learned since the show finished airing was racist, all of that. And what Dr. P said was that she's a black woman, by the way. And she said, there's a reason why we call black people who try to separate themselves from their blackness or who like try to cozy up to white people in a certain way. We call those people Uncle Tom based on that book, Uncle Tom's Cabin. But she was like, we don't say my random neighbor, Tom. We don't say that guy over there, Tom. We say my uncle because he's a part of our family. Like we are all black. I have to claim Matt James and his blackness the same as I have to claim Barack Obama and his, and the same that I have to claim Daniel Cameron, the disgusting AG in Kentucky who didn't persecute or prosecute rather Breonna Taylor's killers. We're all just as black. And so I think that that learning that, like you said, you are the nuance of our experience. We all are having a million different experiences and that's still the black experience or the Asian experience or the Indian experience. That quiz killed me because I remember we were like on FaceTime as, as I took it. And the fact that you and I got the same one, everyone's experience can be different. And it's a reminder that all of us, regardless of racial identity, have so much in common. And like, there are so many things that you can share culturally. And we should focus on those. We should focus on what's similar. I think that's why too, sometimes I'm like, 
And again, it's probably like an ignorant thing. I just like pretend that the world is not as racist as it is. But I'm always like, why is it a thing? Because I feel like some of my like closest best friends like you, Morgan, are not Asian. And I feel like we I can relate to somebody like you a lot more than I can to somebody who is Asian. So to me, it's kind of like, why is that even a thing? But again, that's not realistic. But I think that like you've always have gone out of your way to also have a good group of Asian friends. I think that I relate to you deeply. I relate to Yara deeply. Obviously I have friends of all different races, but there's something that's different about the way that I relate to Dre or to Ash or to Nika or to Hannah and Hallie than I do to the two of you. And it's not that any better, but it's just that there's a common understanding and a common, we're sisters. I feel that. And I think Grace, you and I are sisters too. And Yara, you and I are sisters too, but it's, but it's just different. I think I felt before sim- more similar to UG that I was like, I love all people and I'll have friends of all different races. And that's something that I love about myself is that I do have friends of all different races. And I remember in college, one of, I was in a, the black theater company and one of the guys who was in the theater company with me went to Columbia prep or Horace Mann, one of those New York Manhattan private schools. And so he knew a bunch of other kids who'd gone to Penn, but when he came to Penn, he was like, I completely was absorbed into the black Penn scene. I would see those people like out and about, but I would never be at a party with them. I would never, whatever. And he said to me, he's like, you're the only black person that I can think of who you are equally as welcome if at a white party or at a black party. That's not a common experience. And so I really prided myself on that and felt really good that I had this multicultural group of friends. As I've gotten older, I'm so blessed and so lucky to have those, to have that group of friends. And I wouldn't be the person that I am if it weren't because of them. But as I move forward in the future, and if I'm making new friends, even though obviously hashtag no new friends, I do seek to make new friends who are people of color, who are specifically black women. And if not black women, then you got to be a POC. Yara, I don't know if we would become besties if you were a white woman. I just don't know if we would. Being able to connect with a person on that level is, has become more and more important to me the older that I've gotten. I'm offended I wasn't sent this black quiz. <laughs> Please send this to me. G, I don't think you're going to do well on it, to be honest, but I'll send it to you and we'll put the results. We'll put the results on Instagram. You know, it's funny you say, Morgan, like talking about like having friends that like look like you or whatever. Like, I mean, I've always had diverse group of friends. In high school, I had some Indian friends. I had a lot of black friends, good number of white friends. And it's interesting to think about like being intentional. I always think about I'm like, how can I make more Indian friends? I don't go to prayers much. Like I don't see Indian people walking around Astoria much. The only Indian person I see in Astoria is this man who lives on my street who always says hi to me. So when Indian people see each other, they do a little head nod. I'm like, hello. Uh, Cause again, I, I don't see many Indian people in Astoria. I don't quite know how I'd go about making more Indian friends. I think Making friends of color is like, oh yeah, you know, whether through work or going when you're out, whatever. Um, but but I think making friends of a specific racial background is a little bit harder. But I will say, as I'm thinking about it, it's like, oh yeah, but you can be more intentional when you date and you try and date, but that's because we have dating apps. We don't have friendship apps. There is Bumble BFF, but I haven't tried that. So, you know, I could just swipe to see until I find find like another person of color to be my friend. But on dating apps, you can definitely like, you can be more intentional about like swiping for people of color. And I know that there are Indian dating apps out there. Have either of you tried a dating app that has just your own race? I filter for blacks on Hinge. 
So that's the closest that I've gotten, but I haven't tried anyone that's like black specifically. Gee, what about you? I have not. Did you guys ever use coffee meets bagel? So I found coffee meets bagel to push no matter what you set your preferences as to only push people who look like you because I only got Asian people. I got Indian people, East Asian people, and that was absolutely it. So I have been on Coffee Meets Bagel and I did notice there were a lot more Asians. I don't know if that was like part of the algorithm, but I know like my brother, I think, met his girlfriend who's Asian on Coffee Meets Bagel. And then my other friend met her like boyfriend. Actually, no, I think they're married now on Coffee Meets Bagel. But yeah, but then I just got like overwhelmed with like how many dating apps I was on. So I like don't use it that much anymore. Even on Hinge, I see like, you know how it's like, oh, here's someone we think you'd be compatible with. It's always an Indian person. That's fine. Maybe it's going off of an algorithm. But I'm like, I can have things in common with many people. It doesn't just have to be an Indian person. Morgan, did you ever use Coffee Meets Bagel? So long ago that I like can't even remember what was on there. What about on Hinge? On Hinge, are you like, oh, we think you'd get along with. Are they usually Black? Well, I filter for Blacks. So I have only shown me Black people on on him. And it works. And it works. So if they are showing, so if they do say somebody's going to be compatible with me, I'm like, well, yeah, that's because I asked for Black people. Interesting. Because I don't have any preferences. I like to do experiments on dating apps to see how algorithms work, especially during quarantine because there's nothing else to do. So I'd, I'd like to mess around with things. And no matter what my preferences are, my suggestions on Hinge are always Indian men. Like, those are the only people that they tell me I'm compatible with. It's weird because I never see any Indian men, so I don't know what the fuck's going on with my algorithm. But on the topic of dating, though, in my own experience, like having dated mostly white men, that's also another thing that I've thought about more this past week. And I was like, something I talked to my therapist about, because I was like, I feel like I resent white men, but I mostly date white men. And like, I don't know how to like come to terms with that. You know, she was just saying, at least you're more aware about it. And she was like, I hate the term woke, but you're more, more like woke about it. That's something that I've also like thought more about. And it's not that I only want to date white men, but for the majority of my dating experience has been mostly white men. And again, that's definitely some sort of like internalized, like white supremacy culture. And I think, did we talk about this last time about Disney? Or was it, I was talking to somebody else about that. And again, it goes back to Asian or like minorities in media. I was like, is it because growing up, like you're just ingrained with images of white men as being like the ultimate image of like beauty or like that's the highest whatever physical attractiveness that you can attain or even like watching Disney movies I was like my crush growing up was Prince Eric from Little Mermaid and I was like did that have something to do with me wanting to only date men with dark hair and blue eyes I don't know Eric was also my crush, but then I, so I feel you on that one. He was fine. Eric could get it, (laughs) but that's a great question, G, because I obviously like grew out of that. And though, like I have had one boyfriend in my life and he was white. So maybe he is my Prince Eric that I was looking for. (laughs) Aladdin was my favorite. I liked Aladdin, but I also Mulan is still my favorite Disney movie. The animated version is still my favorite. Um, because I've seen it a hundred times at least. 
but fascinating that Aladdin was your crush, but then you don't like Indian guys. We got well, Aladdin is not Indian. Aladdin's Middle Eastern. It doesn't take place in India. It's in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to get canceled because that was racist. I apologize, Sara. I apologize for lumping all brown people into the country of India. They crossed and mixed a lot of different cultural things. They, the tiger's name was Raja. That's something like, you know, there's no tigers in the Middle East. Raja means king in Hindi. It's all good. Aladdin was also very whitewashed as well. Like he did not look Middle Eastern or Indian, nor was the guy who played him in the live action movie. It wouldn't have worked out with you and Prince Eric because he loved dogs. And I know how you feel about dogs. (laughs) He also loved silent women who have no voice, literally. So no, Eric and I would not get along. <laughs> I love how that was like the bigger issue and we didn't even like talk about it. I was like, that's like a huge red flag. We're like, what? who cares? He's, he's a hot prince. We should talk about Shrek and how Shrek loved Fiona no matter what she looked like. That should be the, the goal. Like Shrek was an ogre and he loved someone who also turned into an ogre. That should be the, the true love story couple goals shrek and fiona (laughs) zaddy of the week shrek oh my god shout out to shrek oh my goodness okay gee i know that you were on a mission to find your very own shrek and so you touched on that you've been examining a little bit like what it meant that you had only dated white guys in the past and are kind of looking at that now so what have you kind of been noticing in that I was thinking about that more this week. And I I think it's just interesting too, because growing up in Hawaii, like I only liked Asian men. And then it's interesting. I think, you know, now having spent my adult life, you know, on the East coast and dating there, it's I've only dated white men. And yes, it probably has to do with whatever, how I was raised in media. I also think like working in fashion and just being very conscious about like, what are the ultimate like standards of beauty having that ingrained in my head. So dating is a numbers game too. So it's like you're on, you're living in a place where it's majority white men. You're just going to date more white men. To me, I always say a hot guy is a hot guy. I don't care if you're white or what, whatever color you are. Like, I just love like hot men, any hot man get at me. But that's definitely something I've thought about more. And like, even when I am on a date with a white guy, I'm like, Are you going to therapy? Are you aware of your white privilege? Are you thinking about these things? Like, are you examining those things about yourself? And it's like, I only want to date people who have done that work. Do you think you're going to more intentionally be looking to date Asian men? I think it's hard too, because it's kind of like, what are the options that are being given to you? It's not like I'm going to just swipe right on Asian, an Asian man, just because he's Asian. If you're hot and I feel like we connect, then I'll swipe right on you, regardless if you're Asian or not. I think I'm definitely more conscious about it when I'm like swiping and would just like to have more experiences like going on dates with other people, not only Asian or or white too, like other, you know, people of color, just diversify the types of people that I'm meeting. Because the term Asian American lumps together a group of people who may have parents from 40 different countries across a continent, that that's also challenging too. So it's like, why would I connect better to like a Filipino guy than I would to a Honduran guy? 
just because we both happen to both be in the same bucket of being Asian American. And so I, that's something definitely that I've been thinking about more is that I was like, I had always been like, Grace, why don't you date an Asian guy, date an Asian guy, date an Asian guy. And it's like, well, like you're Korean American. That's a very particular experience. And so for me to just be like, you should date an Asian. It's like, what, maybe you wouldn't have as much in common with a dude from Malaysia as you would with a, with a black guy who knows. But that's something that I definitely have been more conscious of too. And like recognizing that I'm like, I'm doing that thing that I wouldn't want somebody to do to me, which is lumping all Asian people into one bucket and be like, Grace, you should date one of those. I think that's why I've had issues like maybe like meeting or like long-term dating Asian guys, because I feel like, and I think I said this on the last, the other episode too. It's like, I feel like the Asian men that I meet on the East Coast are just different than the types of Asians that I grew up with here or even like live on the West Coast. And I think that part of that is because an Asian guy in L.A., let's use that as an example, a Korean guy in L.A., a Korean American guy in L.A., is growing up with a lot of other Koreans around him. (laughs) And so like you, his experience may not be the same as a person who just moved here from Korea or as a person who grew up on the East coast and it was just them. And they were the only Korean American kid in New Hampshire. Like that's a completely different experience. That does make sense to me that you would feel more connected to somebody who had a more similar upbringing to you. Yeah. And I was going to say like, in general, like just like how we were saying identity can be many things together and all those things make up who we are. And it's like not a monolith. I mean, I'm very well aware that like my own identity, being Indian, being Muslim, that's none of that's a monolith. And it's very easy to get sucked in in your own thing, but not think about other people being a monolith. And so, again, these kind of conversations are good to just remind us that like your identity is one thing and your lived experience is another. And how those two intersect can kind of be how you how you find your friends, your relationships, all of that, because like. It's that intersection of what you've experienced and how you can find things in common with someone else. Because we can't just, just like how we wouldn't be like, oh, these two white people are both white. So they're perfect for each other. (laughs) Like they are both white, white, white from like rural Indiana. So they should, they should get together. Similarly, we can't be like, oh yeah, look at these two Indian people. Look at these two Korean people. We should remember the little, little differences in, in experience that all of us have. I actually, I had a question for Yara about just, you know, all these conversations about like stop Asian hate. And so like, I always thought it was interesting, like, how do you like either identify or how do you like, what are your thoughts about all this stuff? Just because like the word Asian is such a broad term and encompasses so many different cultures being South Asian and East Asian are just so different to me that I just wonder, you know, when, you know, the media uses the term like Asian as sort of this like broad term, like how do you like relate to that? And like even just around the shootings, like obviously all the victims were East Asian. So it's like, how does that impact you as being Indian? Yeah, you know, so when I when I hear people say the word Asian to start with, I typically say I'm Indian. The number of times I say I'm Asian typically has to do with the fact that there's a form that doesn't say Indian that just says Asian. When I heard about the shootings, I, I was just at a loss because like, while I'm not Asian in the same way that like, that you are obviously or anyone was, it's just, it's once again, communities of color being attacked for no reason other than just their skin color or how do they look. Oftentimes in the Indian community, 
there is racism against other types of Asian people, whether it's what, whether if it's as simple as something being from like South India or Bangladesh or Pakistan or from China or from Korea or from wherever. And so I, th- I think it's hard to navigate because at the end of the day, when I see stop Asian hate, I'm not being like, oh, I'm being marginalized because in this situation, I know that's not me. I don't even know if I'm answering your question, but I, I think it's a hard conversation to have because while I am not Asian in, the, in that way, that's how society lumps me. So again, it's a very like nuanced thing of like, yes, I'm Asian, but I'm South Asian. Grace, thank you so much for coming back and talking to us yet again. This has been another awesome conversation. And I'm so grateful that not only you were able to come on this podcast, but also that you're one of my best friends. I love you. I adore you. I'm going to send you the test to see if you're as black as Yara or if you are blacker than me, who knows? <laughs> it wouldn't be an episode of Love Stories with Morgan and Yara if we didn't end with our two favorite subjects joy and zaddies so grace right now in what is quite possibly the shittiest two weeks that we've had in a minute what is bringing you joy right now so i can't complain because i'm back in hawaii and have been for the last few weeks so i think i mean the time difference is really rough i have to wake up at like 3 a.m to do work because i'm working on east coast time but I finished work at like noon or like one o'clock. And so just being in warm weather and I get to like go outside and go to the park and go to the beach. And again, I just felt very lucky. Guys, nature is healing. <laughs> just like just being around nature and just being able to be outside and be in warm weather, I think has just brought me so much joy. And obviously being with my mom, being around my family has brought me joy in the last few weeks. And I also got vaccinated. So there's a light at the end of the tunnel, which I'm also very grateful for. Okay, well, I think everyone knows what part is next, the zaddy chat. And so Grace, I want you to tell us what a zaddy means to you. And then tell us who your zaddy of the week is. And please remember that since all of us already claimed Shrek, you cannot say Shrek as your zaddy of the week. So a zaddy to me, I know you guys have had debates about like age, but I don't think it's really about age. It's more about like swag and like big dick energy. Like that's, <laughs> that's what a zaddy is to me. Uh, and my zaddy of the week is an Asian man, um, is Steven Yun who is having a, a, a moment right now. He got nominated for an Oscar. I mean, what's crazy is he is the first Asian man in 93 years of the history of the Oscars to be nominated for Best Actor. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But he and I have the same birthday, December 21st, and I DM'd him saying that I was very excited to learn this fact, and he did not read it, nor has he responded to me. <laughs> so hit me back, Steven, whenever you get a sec. He's married to this like a gorgeous Korean woman, so like happy for you, kind of. Yar, who is your zaddy of the week? I'm going to go with um, also someone of Asian descent. Uh, And this is someone who I'm surprised wasn't on my list until just now we were talking and I thought of her. I'm going to say Sandra Oh, particularly as Christina Yang. I can't even speak today. She is the number one zaddy of the week. First of all, she's beautiful. Second of all, Christina Yang is like the best, one of the best characters 
in all of TV. When she left Grey's Anatomy, I was devastated. Um, I think it's such a badass character. Uh, she's beautiful. Uh, I have not watched um, Becoming Eve, is that what it's called? Her newer show? Killing Eve, Killing Eve. I'm sorry, Killing Eve. Um, I have not seen that yet because I don't have the channel it comes on. But I think she's beautiful. I think she's great. And she was one of the only like real legitimate characters in Grey's Anatomy to me. So I'm going to go with Sandra O. Oh. Morgan, what about you? This person is also an Asian Australian. Alexander Hodge, Asian Bay from Insecure. Boing! The definition of BDE. His hair, I'm literally jumping out of my chair. This man is fine as F and similar to Yara. I don't know how I possibly hadn't said him before. I'm obsessed. His hair is stunning. He's before he had a long flowing locks. Now he has a short swoop, but still has a little bit of length just to give you that vibe and that energy. He is the most famous Asian actor on television to date a black woman on television by my estimation. And his real life girlfriend is also black. So Alexander Hodge, hot. He speaks with an American accent on the on Insecure. But then I was watching um, an Instagram live with him because I'm obsessed with him. And he started speaking. It was an interview with, between him and Issa. And the, when I tell you that this IG live, people were like, oh, shit, this man's Australian? Listen to the accent. Asian bag, fine, so hot, love him. So my zaddy of the week is Alexander Hodge. I love it. Grace, thank you so much for coming back on our show and for having this conversation with us. We also want to make incredibly clear that we stand with the Asian community in this time and always, and that we promise the two of us and hopefully all of our listeners to make sure that we are continuing to fight for equity across this entire nation and to speak out and stand out against any hate that we see anywhere, especially against our Asian American brothers and sisters. We're recording this episode on Wednesday, the 23rd. So I think we're a day or two days removed from the second mass shooting that just happened in Boulder, Colorado. And there is so much unnecessary, disgusting violence that takes place in this world, especially against people of color and those communities. Hopefully having conversations like this is healing and it can help us move into a direction where we aren't going to be so divided. And even if it's just changing one tiny mind or changing one little conversation, I'm really grateful that we are able to have this tiny little platform to be able to talk about these things that are so important to us. And so we're thinking about all of our Asian American brothers and sisters right now. I know that there's nothing worse than watching your own people be murdered with impunity and to feel like you've been murdered yourself. So I feel for you. I have empathy and I just, we've been there too. And we will, we're going to continue fighting to make sure that this doesn't happen ever again. I want to say one last thing or two last things, I guess. One is check in on your Asian friends. I think, you know, the people that have like reached out to me, I was just like very grateful to hear from them. So definitely do that. And then two, fuck that shirt, <laughs> that killer had a bad day. I just could not stop thinking about it. Like, fuck that guy. Seriously. Okay. That's my closing statement. Fuck that guy. <laughs> fuck that guy. I hope he has a bad day soon where he's fired. Yeah, no, that was unreal hearing that someone just had a bad day. 
making excuses like no no that's not a bad day when I heard that I I lost it I you know I I I, I, I don't can't even form a sentence around how disgusting that is that, that's what we call a bad day what like no and I think too that I had felt for a while that in the way that people of color view ourselves as one group, right? So Grace, Stephen Young gets nominated for that Oscar. You feel pride for that. You're like, that's my guy because that person feels like they're connected to you. Yara, Kamala Harris gets elected to be the vice president. You're like, that's my girl. She's Indian. Like we feel these connections to people. And I felt that white people didn't have that because there are so many of them. When, when, when George Bush got elected, were they like, that's my guy because he's white like me? No, I feel like they didn't, there's not the same, some did for sure, but it's not that same connection of like, there aren't that many of us and you're one of us and you did something great. We're proud of you. And so hearing the sheriff say that made me reflect on that thought that I had had before and be like, oh, they do feel like they're a part of a group because the grace that he was extending to that disgusting killer was the grace that you'd extend to somebody who was in your family. So you do feel that connection to that person and not all white people, but that really, like you said, Yara, made me sick. I couldn't even watch the video just to hear somebody say that this person had a bad day. You know who had a bad day? The families of those eight people who were brutally murdered for no fucking reason and aren't gonna be able to be there for their kids for their spouses, for their friends. Those are the people who had a bad day that day. The fact that you can get a gun that you would use in war and bring that to a spa or bring that to a grocery store is sick and disgusting. Thank you so much, Love Story Guys, for listening. Thank you, Grace, for sharing your story. We loved hearing from you and talking to you yet again. I'm so glad that we had this conversation. This was much needed. And thank you for coming back. Yes, thank you so much for coming back. Um, everyone, you can be sure to find us on Instagram and Twitter at LSMY Podcast. Please share this podcast with your friends. Um, we really want to grow this podcast. We have some great stories and we want a lot of people to hear about it. So share with your friends, your family, tag us on social media, leave us a review, rate us. We really just want to share these wonderful stories, but we need your help to do that. So please continue to support us. We love you and thank you. Bye friends, take care of yourselves. Bye everybody. Say bye, Grace. Bye. <laughs> Yay! Episode. <laughs>